Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And it's uh, midweek. It's midday. It is time for uh, for our middays with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan, uh, U.S. Congressman representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. His website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep. Mark Pocan. And Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. It is always great having you with us. And um, but for all our listeners, you're here for the hour. You will be taking calls um, on, on pretty much any topic, presumably. So, uh, but before we get to that, I'm, I'm, you know, there is so much going on in the news cycle here and in, in, and in Congress. I'm wondering what you think are the, are the most consequential things, the things we need to know about. I, I, I noticed that uh, Brian Schatz and uh, I forget who it was in the House just introduced. This was just on the Hill just a few minutes ago. Uh, oh yeah, it was uh, Ben uh, Ray Lujan uh, introduced uh, a public option health care bill into the House. Although of course Paul Ryan is not going to let that go anywhere, right? Right, and there's been actually a couple versions expanding Medicare to people who are 55 and older, and, and some other options too. I think what we are just showing is when you talk to people about health care, they want expanded opportunities, not uh, a loss of health care so that they can provide tax cuts to the wealthiest. You know, and that really would be the biggest issue, Tom. You know, I, I think this is what Republicans want more than anything, is tax cuts for the wealthiest who fund their campaigns. And uh, we saw it in the original health care, so-called health care bills, weren't so much about taking away health care from people, although it did, did take away tens of millions of people's access to health care. It was about providing tax cuts for the wealthy. And now they just went around and, and did a, a budget bill that essentially will set it up so they can, again, through reconciliation, have fewer votes to do what they want to get done around tax policy. They want to do this by Thanksgiving. And this is the issue that they want more than anything. Their donors want more than anything. And we have to be ready because if they do this, uh, if you lower the taxes on the wealthiest, if you get rid of the estate tax that affects about two out of every 1,000 people, people who make more than $5.5 million uh, in this country, if you um, go in and change some of the rates for things like pass-through income, again, that affect the wealthiest, at the end of the day, it's going to have to be paid for somehow. Neither it's going to be by increased taxes from the middle class, even if they're doubling the deduction, they're taking away other deductions, or they're going to be cutting Medicare and Social Security and other programs, again, that are the most valuable programs 
for working families in this country. We have got to keep our eye on this. This has been their top priority forever, and this is the biggest lie I've seen in Congress, and they keep saying this is for the middle class. Donald Trump says he won't benefit. Those are the biggest lies yet I've heard, and we have to be on top of this because this is their top priority. Yeah, and, and, and it'll have a lasting impact on our country. Um, Absolutely. I, in fact, I just saw an, an article. They said if you take the full amount of tax cuts that they want to do, um, it, it's more than all the tax cuts that have happened in the last 25 years. And it's not going to affect the middle class and those aspiring to be in the middle class. Eighty percent of that money 10 years from now goes to the top one or two percent. So we really got to keep it, it's hard stuff. Right. I mean, I, I went around my district last week with town halls. I did two in my district. I did one in Paul Ryan's district because he quit doing them. So someone's got to do them there. And whenever we talk about health care, you know, when you talk about the complexity, it's not exactly the most interesting stuff, right? But it's going to impact us so much if you make those tax cuts. What will impact people is when their Social Security is cut or their Medicare is cut or they're going to pay more because they're losing deductions that the middle class benefits from. And they're going to learn all that too late. Yeah. There, there still isn't actually a piece of legislation, though, is there? No, you know, they keep floating a few ideas. We know a few things they're going to do for sure. And then there's some other things like this week uh, they were going to, I guess, do something with 401Ks, and the president said, no, absolutely not. So we, we don't know exactly know where they're going to land, but we know the big pots of money for their donors and for the wealthiest, where they're going to go for it. Because of that, we have to just be really ready to, to go into immediate action because, you know, again, Paul Ryan, that's all he's talked about since he's been in Congress. If they can't get this done, um, they, they're just uh, – they're, well, they already have all the disarray in the party, as we've seen this week from Jeff Flake and Bob Corker and others. Uh, the only people willing to stand up to this president seem to be the ones who are willing to leave their party over it, and the rest of them are complicit. But this is a priority for so much of what they want. So, you know, I just think we've got to keep our, our eye really ready for this fight and not get distracted, as the president will do. Absolutely, through Twitter, he'll find this shiny object to put out there. He'll put this shiny object to put out there. Bottom line is they don't want you to know they're about to make you pay for tax cuts for the wealthiest in this country. Yeah. You know, Bob, you mentioned Bob Corker and Jeff Flake. They're, they're being lionized by the media as brave Republicans who are willing to stand up to the evils of Trump. But it seems to me that if they were genuinely brave Republicans, uh, that they would do what Angus King did and, and, and leave the party, that they would, they, they would say, uh, well, I mean, he did that much earlier in his career, but... But uh, just, you know, come out and say, you know, I'm not a Republican anymore and, and I'm going to caucus with the Democrats now because we need to stop this this crazy agenda in its tracks. And if Bob Corker and Jeff Flake both said that, if they showed any actual courage rather than just this rhetorical, uh, you know, rhetorical flourish rather than actual courage. Uh, you know, I, I realize that they're, they're probably trying to protect their ability to, you know, Jeff Flake to run for president in 2020 as a Republican, Bob Corker to get a good job as a big lobbyist making three, four million bucks a year. I get that, but I don't see why everybody is applauding their courage when when all they're doing is rhetoric or or am I missing something? Am I being unnecessarily harsh on these guys? No, no. In fact, you know, this morning I was talking um, about how, you know, they still by and large vote the Republican agenda which is not an agenda for the vast majority of people in this country. It's just they're so tired of having someone with the, the incompetence and inability to govern as Donald Trump is president. They at least finally had to explode on that because that just means they have a bit of normalcy to them, but they still have the values that run counter to what you know most people in this country have. 
What we need, though, is Paul Ryan as a leader, co-equal branch of government, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, which means everyone, he needs to grow, he needs to have a spine and do something and stand up. And that's where we're not seeing that leadership at all, as you said, from the people who are currently there. They need to have a much more of a stance. And I think, as you and I have said previously, uh, when they realize Donald Trump is about to go down, suddenly everyone will be talking about how great Mike Pence is, right? And right. then maybe we'll see, the, then they'll have a spine. But the spine at that point is only out of convenience, and it's not out of necessity. Where do you think we're at in that, in that process, or, the, or at least the Republican Party is at? You know, privately, I mean, you'll, you'll, Republicans know that this is not normal, but they're not standing up again. So like you said, you know, it's not a profile encouraged for someone maybe to leave the party, be much more of a profile, uh, I mean, to, like, to go to an independent or do something like that, but just leave office, you know, just allows maybe a Steve Bannon uh, protege to try to get into the U.S. Senate. That's not exactly going to help the situation, right? So they're taking care of themselves first, uh, as opposed to really standing up for the principles that supposedly they ran on. Yeah, there's some, some startling uh, parallels actually here uh, between this and uh, June 17, 1934 in Ger Germany, which I will be talking about it in the next hour. Uh, but uh, Papen's last speech and uh, probably the last anti-Hitler speech that was given in Germany, it's, it's a little spooky. And then, and then two weeks later, Papen is praising Hitler about what a wonderful man he is because he's scared to death, right? <laughs> and yeah. The Night of the Long Knives happened a week after that, and Papen was one of the few who wasn't murdered, but uh, he was imprisoned, as I recall. Yeah, um, and I would argue, like right now, watching what Steve Bannon is doing, he's almost more powerful than he was in the, when he was in the White House. Yeah. Because he's now unchained uh, by any kind of normal rules that we had even in this White House, and now he can just go out and completely try to remake their party. Well, and truth be told, that's what that's what uh, Bannon predicted. You know, he he said uh, outside the White House, I'll be stronger, and and you know, boy, he's doing it. They are uh, not only ripping apart the party, they're ripping apart the country. It's extraordinary. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls up next. Uh, Congressman Pocan represents the Second District of Wisconsin. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, along with Raul Grijalva. His website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him. And send him a thank you for being on our program at Rep. Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Michael in Brookline, Mass. Michael, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi. It's, thanks for taking my call, and it's nice to uh, hear from you. Listen, uh, I've been following this Niger thing and the attacks on uh, LaDavid Johnson and Frederica Wilson for a while. And I think they're overdetermined. The press really took the bait and spent all their time talking about how Trump is bigoted, which is true. But in a way, you could have a bigoted president who was very competent and shrewd. I don't think that's true of Trump, but at least uh, they took the bait. I think this is part a cover. Um, two things. One is that that action in uh, Niger may have well been incompetent, and maybe these men were killed because um, uh, because of a defense failure. But the major thing, totally undiscussed, is why are they there to begin with? The only thing I could find, was that, which was interesting, was while Niger is one of the dirt poorest countries in the world, it has 7.5% uh, of the uranium uh, uh, in the world, and the French get... 20 or 30 percent of the uranium from Niger. So perhaps the special forces are there to support um, 
the uh, French. Uh, yeah. All of the other arguments about, well, you know, Boko Haram can go here and there and, and whatever could be, uh, has nothing to do with Niger. They could be equally, well, the... Michael, we're, Michael, we're hitting a break here. I will uh, paraphrase, re-paraphrase your question for Congressman Pocan okay, when good. we come back on the other side and we'll see what he has sure. to say. Thank you for the call. Okay. We'll be right back. Uh, Congressman Mark Pocan on the line, taking taking your calls in our uh, Middays with Mark segment. Congressman, uh, we just had a call from a, from Michael, a, a listener who was uh, asking what 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 is the current state of knowledge about why four U.S. soldiers died in Niger and or Niger, I guess is how it's it's a French colony pronunciation, and and um, you know to what extent. Might that even be a political uh, landmine for the Trump administration, a la Benghazi, if this was the result of some sort of incompetence or bad planning or not paying attention or whatever? Yeah, you know, and I think that's the, the point I think we need to really keep focused on. So I think this got created out of him uh, claiming to be the best president ever on dealing with, uh, you know, um, Gold Star families, essentially. Found out that was, go, go, no surprise, a big lie. Now he's rushing out letters to everybody to, to do what he said he already did. But what came out of this is when he started this, this attack and this foolish attack really on Frederica Wilson, because she's been completely honest and, and accurate about her portrayal of what happened, both from the call and from you know, the video uh, of her you know, giving the speech. <clears throat> but the bottom line is, why are we there? What exactly happened? And we had a little conversation about this yesterday with Colonel Wilkinson, who was in about um, the situation in Yemen. And when we talked about it, you know, I think uh, Ted Lieu brought up there's like 40, 34,000 troops that are essentially in um, unnamed uh, missions. Uh, and uh, Colonel Wilkinson said that's probably in seven countries, including uh, Niger being one of them. Uh, and he mentioned, as we, uh, this has been publicized, so it's not like classified or anything, but there's also a, a drone facility there and other things that we're working on. So, um, you know, we need to have probably a little better handle on the 34,000 troops that are kind of these specialized troops that aren't part of normal missions in, uh, again, about seven countries around the world, but this particular action, there could very likely be more to it. And I think this has now put a spotlight on what probably would have gone unnoticed otherwise. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, good afternoon. I have a question for the Congressman. Mm -hmm. uh, Congressman Pocan, it's Carol in Manesson. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to know how we can fight uh, this tax plan, which is so egregious, whenever they're lying about it to a man from the top down. The, uh, I live, in, as I said, near Pittsburgh, and I have Pat Toomey. I've tweeted forever. I, I tweet constantly to Pat. I, tw I tweet to Charlie Dent. I do everything I can think of, and it does no good. They are not listening to us, and the networks are not coming out with the truth about this. So how in the world are we supposed to fight something like this? Thanks. I'll tell you, Carol, take the lesson we learned from healthcare. We defeated every attempt they've made this year because people got active and were vocal, but that was easier to understand, right? You either have healthcare or you don't. This is a bit more complex of an issue for one and two. This is their real goal of what they wanted when we had the healthcare fight. So Keep doing what you're doing as far as reaching out to your elected officials. Those calls really matter. That's how we won the health care fight. Second, find the groups that are working on this and double down your involvement with them. 
Uh, Not One Penny is a group that I have a lot of respect for because they're a coalition of many people working on this issue. Uh, Groups like Indivisible do a fantastic job of making it so you can call into other districts and have them connected to their representative where we need to do affect swing voters. And then just keep doing the social media so that your friends in other parts, not in Pennsylvania, can also contact their representatives and, and, and get that going. But we have to make this an all-out uh, populist push against what they're doing like we did with health care. Uh, and if we do that, we can be successful because we were successful on health care with this exact same strategy. Mark in Valley, Washington. Mark, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, Congressman, I have a question for you. If you were to hold or another congressman was to call a press conference, will the press show up? Uh, Mark, I'll tell you, we do a lot of press conferences here in Washington. Our Progressive Caucus, which is the largest values-based caucus, about 77 members, will do it. And sometimes you may get some of the Capitol Press Corps for, like, Politico or The Hill or roll call here, but we don't usually get uh, the bigger networks and other media, mainstream media, corporate media, to come and cover things. So if you just did it with one other member, very unlikely. We do it as a caucus, and sometimes we have trouble. It is really difficult to sometimes get that information out. And yet if the Tea Party Caucus holds a press conference, they get covered 16 ways to Sunday, and they're smaller than you guys. What's the deal? And they'll follow around uh, Mark Meadows or different individuals from that caucus. Now, to be fair, Tom, I mean, they're in the majority, so they do have a tendency to cover that. But they don't cover uh, just the ideas that we're trying to put out there or when we try to get a message out. It, it is much more difficult. Well, even when you guys were in the majority, I, you know, I remember when the, 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 uh, in the first couple of years of the Obama administration, when you had both the House and the Senate, and the Congressional Progressive Caucus rolled out a great budget. We had Jan Schakowsky on this program breaking it down. Not one one word of coverage in the national media. While the Tea Party's budget was everywhere, it's bizarre. I guess I'm complaining. <laughs> I'm sorry, Congressman. <laughs> Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And it is our Middays with Mark segment. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. And Sherry in Gerald, Missouri. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman. I wanted to ask a question about Steve Bannon. Why is he allowed to attack and um, go after political figures blatantly when if I click on the wrong site, the FBI wants to know my name. Well, Sherry, I mean, it is First Amendment rights, right? So he's just exploring his from a very wealthy platform, uh, being Breitbart News and being his new elevated position from being in the White House and uh, from the Mercer funding and other funding sources that he has. So, un- unfortunately, he's very effective in doing it, and he's really relishing in this attention. So when he says that you're either going to have to resign or you're going to lose, he takes credit for people like Jeff Lake, who uh, you know probably had very little to do with Steve Bannon, had a lot more to do with how Donald Trump is running things about why he's leaving. So you know he's just getting a lot of attention right now. The, the thing is, this is a devolution of the Republican Party. It, it's not that there's a split or anything. This is just, you know, if this is the, the route they're going to take, this will lead to massive losses, and then maybe that um, remakes up their party. But we have to be there to take advantage of uh, what they're doing right now so that we can save the country. And I think, again, um, everyone has First Amendment rights, but we have to be ready to be as quick to organize people uh, to be able to take advantage of the changes that are happening. 
Alex in Edison, New Jersey. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Tom. Hello, Congressman Pocan. My question is a rather boring one, but I think it's important as a matter of public safety. The ATF has many legislative technical restric restrictions for, I think, no good reason. Let me give you two. They cannot keep an electronic database of gun sales. And they cannot have optical character recognition software and such to, so for them to track, a, you know, an illegal purchase is very, very labor intensive. There's other restrictions. Uh, my question is this. What can be done to remove these restrictions and thereby let them use data analysis to track suspicious gun sales and, more importantly, keep us safe? Thank you. Yeah, Alex, so, you know, let me answer it a little bit higher of a 30,000-foot level. I mean, there's other common-sense things we're trying to do that have 80%-plus public support around background checks, around, you know, people who buy them uh, on Craigslist or at a flea market or a, a gun show but not buying it directly from a dealer, uh, you know, a lot of other provisions that we've put out there. The bottom line is the NRA is an extremely powerful lobby of gun makers uh, who fund the NRA, uh, who claim it's really gun owners, but we know where the funding comes from. And they've been very effective in keeping Congress from doing anything, including um, some people in the Democratic Party have been more reluctant in this area to move forward. So while there are certainly, as you said, some changes that could happen that may sound relatively easy, we also are putting out ideas that have 80% public support, and yet we still can't get them through because the NRA is such a powerful lobby. At some point, we just have to make it that, you know, the NRA uh, is a bad thing if you have their support because it's not about gun ownership protection with a, a, a handgun or uh, the right to own a rifle for hunting. It's about protecting the gun manufacturers who are never going to give an inch because it's about their profits. And once everyone understands that, then maybe we can be in a position to change some of these laws for more common-sense solutions. Paolo in Bristol, UK, uh, in the United Kingdom. Hi. Hey, Paolo, you are on the air Hi. with Congressman Pocan. Hi there. Thanks, um, thanks for taking my call. I'd just like to find out, because it seems like Jeff Flake of Arizona seems to be, they seem to be saying that he's principled, but what... How do we approach Republicans who? How do we re approach Republicans who try to say that they're anti-Trump yet vote for his agenda almost 100 percent of the time? What do we have to say to that? Yeah. Is it unfair to characterize Jeff Flake as a hypocrite? And, and, and in fact, what you do Congressman, is you reach out to these people and say, you know, whether they're allowing Trump to do what he's doing, or they're still voting for an agenda that essentially represents what Donald Trump wants, they can either change their ways, or you can change the faces of the people who represent you in Congress, or for that matter, any legislative body. So, you know, we just have to be really serious about it. We've got to take elections as seriously as they do. We need to figure out how to fight all these efforts that try to make it harder for people to vote. And we have to make it that, you know, if you don't go vote and you had the ability to, that that is something... Uh, that's a serious consequence, right? I mean, people realize that they're fighting for their themselves if they go out and vote. Uh, just in the United States right now with this tax uh, legislation, it very likely, in order to pay for that, they may not say it up front, but down the road, it's going to be going after Social Security and Medicare, two of the most popular programs we have that support the middle class and those aspiring to be in the middle class more than anything. And if that happens, that would be devastating to us. So 
we just got to take it to them. If you won't change your ways, if you're, you know, if you're not going to say anything about the president, you're going to vote for that agenda, then fine. We're going to change it. You can have a different occupation. We have to be dead serious about that. Teresa in Bellevue, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan. Hey, I have actually, it's more of a, um, a request for you. I heard on uh, the TV last night one of a Demo uh, Republican congressman talking about the estate tax and using that old line that it's already been taxed, so it shouldn't be taxed again. And I can't believe that talking point is still out there, and I'm just... Um, going to encourage the Progressive Caucus to correct that. It has not been taxed by the person receiving it. In fact, the person receiving it hasn't even worked for it, let alone not pay taxes on it. Right. I, Teresa, excellent point. And, you know, it's almost as if uh, you've been hanging out with our uh, exec committee this week, because one of the things that we made a decision to do, and hopefully by the end of the week we'll start doing this, is we're putting together on certain specific provisions we think they're going to be part of their tax plan. We're going to put videos together to explain what they are in very common terms because the estate tax also, you know, people think, oh, it's a death tax, right, because Republicans have given it that name. It's only a tax when you have $5.49 million with an individual that it even takes place. It's about two out of every thousand people in a year are actually paying that. So when you look at it that way, suddenly you realize this is a tax cut just for the wealthiest. We need to get that information out there much better and that's why i've been really passionate about this because this is not easy stuff but it has great ramifications in everything that we care about like social security health care and, and medicare because it's going to have to be paid for so we are in the process of doing just that we're going to take some of these major things like pass-through income which is not super easy unless we can make it more understandable the estate tax uh, and some of the other tax provisions so that people understand how they're getting essentially screwed uh, so that the rich get a big tax break and that the middle class is going to wind up paying for it. Philip in Warner Robins, Georgia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman. I want to ask you a serious question about Trump and his mental stability. I think he's proven that he is mentally unstable, and that represents an existential threat to the world because he is in charge of the second largest nuclear arsenal in the world. Um, why aren't the Democrats working to remove him under the 25th Amendment? So, uh, Philip, a lot of folks are talking about 25th Amendment. Um, we, there are specific provisions to try to make it better. Here, here's the problem with the 25th Amendment as, as a practical solution. The people who make that decision around the 25th Amendment are the cabinet that's appointed by the president. And, and the vice president. Is a significant hurdle. Second, um, if, if the president really wanted to, he can fire the people then that have to make this decision. So Earl Blumenauer, for example, is floating around a proposal to have a backup panel of former presidents and vice presidents. But uh, bottom line is none of these methods are especially easy for a reason. So whether it be impeachment, where we need Republican votes, or the 25th Amendment, where you're going to need the president's own cabinet to make this decision, they're high hurdles, even though I think you and I may definitely sense mental instability in many of the ways how he acts and how he handles things. So we have to keep pressing the case uh, to get this done. So in the meantime, uh, let's fight the individual issues. Let's make sure uh, we take advantage of every election that comes up to make sure that more people who think like us are elected. But, you know, these are much tougher for a reason to get done. And we are talking about it. It's just not always picked up by the corporate media. But I have heard multiple members bring this up on the floor and yet you don't see the general attention on it.
Yeah. Do you, we, we just have a minute until the break, not enough time to get a, another caller in here, but, but uh, how do you see this playing out? You know, I'll tell you, what we need, again, is the Republicans probably won't do it until they know they're in such trouble electorally that they'll then be willing to throw him uh, under the bus, proverbial bus, and instead, uh, you know, start uh, glorifying Mike Pence. But they know their fortune is attached to the president, so they're willing to go along with everything that he does that's stupid, everything he does that's wrongheaded, everything he does that's irrational. And for someone like Paul Ryan, he's from my neighboring district, I know Paul Ryan, I'm even more disappointed because... He knows better. Um, and for him to allow things like that and for Republican elected officials to allow it to happen, it makes them complicit with that activity. And I think that is what's even more frustrating to someone like me is, you know, Donald Trump is Donald Trump, but people of good, good mind should not be allowing that to happen within the Republican Party. Do you think that the reason that the only Republicans who are taking on Trump are the ones who are not running for re-election is because they're, everybody else is afraid of him? I think a big part of it is they're afraid of, quite honestly, their own uh, electorate, their base, because uh, of the Tea Party and some of these low turnout primaries. They can bring out a lot of people. Steve Bannon and others are going to uh, you know, try to get them all out to vote. And they're just afraid of their own constituents, which is just really sad. I mean, I think if people had a spine, you'll find the public would much rather have a Republican with a spine than someone who doesn't. Yeah. Amen. Or a Democrat. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Stick around. We'll be right back with more of your calls from Congressman Mark Pocan right after this. Everyone's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that beets are one of the most important superfoods you can put in your body? They're loaded with important, an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to be, eat, eat a pile of beets every day? Not most people. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from crystals grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthy circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeats is working for you. And free shipping. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, the website tomsbeats.com. And welcome back. Charles in Alamo, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, uh, Congressman, I'd, I'd like to talk about uh, global warming and carbon tax. We've seen a lot of uh, uh, unusually strong storms and, and uh, fires in California. I believe they're directly linked to the uh, excess carbon in our atmosphere, carbon dioxide. And I'm wondering, in this budget uh, and tax uh, discussion in Congress, if, if someone could introduce a carbon tax at this time and get some publicity. Uh, the, uh, the network news was very reticent in, in mentioning the, uh, uh, the any connection to global warming, but there's definitely a connection. But do you think that's possible to... Uh, to get some publicity and introduce that? 
I, you know, I, I think it's unlikely something like that would pass. Uh, I guess you could maybe try to introduce it for publicity, but then we're not focusing on what they're they're doing right now through the tax code, what they're going to, how they're going to affect working families across the country. But you know, you're right that carbon tax is an idea that there are a lot of people in conservative think tanks who also support this because they see it as someone who's uh, using a good staff to pay for that. It's more fair to everyone. Uh, but in this particular tax debate we're having, this isn't about tax fairness. This is about giving tax breaks to the wealthy benefactors of Republicans and their elections. And that's all it's about. And they're going to guise it under everything else. That's why they keep saying this is for the middle class. And Donald Trump uh, lies and says this isn't for him. This is a giant lie to take uh, wealth and redistribute it upward. And uh, I think, you know, any other ideas we have along the way, well, um, could maybe score a point or two aren't going to affect the main issue, which is they're trying to do wealth distribution upward. Okay. Uh, okay. Jennifer in El Paso, Texas. Jennifer, we just have a minute to the break. I got a quick question for Congressman Pocan. Well, it's not too quick, but I'll try to uh, speed it along here. Thank you. Um, so um, uh, good morning. And uh, clearly we are in the midst of a government takeover. And I'm going to be very direct and just call it a coup. So it's totally anti-democracy, totally anti-constitution. And all of our uh, myriad uh, documents protect us, have protections against both fossil and hostile takeover in these forms. So why not implement Congress citing the Constitution to stand up to this and put an end to these practices? It seems like it's, you know, it's been provided for in our history. Congressman? Um, Jennifer, I'm not quite exactly sure what you'll be referring to exactly with it. I mean, clearly what they're doing so far uh, is either within the political realm uh, or slightly outside where we're trying to then, you know, fix and correct some of the issues. But I, I got to say this, bottom line is elections have consequences. We had a, a huge drop-off of voters around the country, some because of reasons like uh, voter suppression, some because people didn't come out, they weren't inspired but that had a ramification we're paying for, and we've got to keep that in mind for the future moving forward. Yeah. Is, is the get-out-the-vote effort uh, a big one inside the Democratic Party right now? Um, it is, uh, especially among people like Keith Ellison over at the DNC, who this has always been his mantra to make sure that we increase voter turnout, and I hope so at the local levels as well. I know we're trying to do that back in my home state of Wisconsin. Right. Okay. Congressman Mark Pocan with us, taking your calls. We'll be back with more of your calls for, for Congressman Pocan. Middays with Mark here on the Tom Hartman Program, right after this. Welcome back. It's Middays with Mark on the Tom Hartman Program. Uh, this hour, Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Uh, Julanda in Spanaway, Washington. Am I saying your name right? Hi there. Yes, thank you. Good morning. Um, I would just wanted to just again just say yes. We all need to get involved. I am. I am one of those. Tom, my husband's jealous. I tell him, watch it. Tom's my boyfriend. <laughs> I have been listening to you religiously for the last two years. And I got involved in the neighborhood. I've been in my particular neighborhood for 15 years. And now I'm going all to the county council meetings. I'm involved in land use and all this because they're trying to destroy our aquifers and where we live. Major building, trying to make us a Houston. And uh, I, ha I went to a land use meeting last night, yesterday morning with the Pierce County. And literally, they are just taking 
the personality of this the orange clown, and they just bald face lie. So now we're having to fight through the state and the feds to save our properties because the county is playing the shell game. They're lying. They've changed our uh, now the uh, the county executive also has control of our public work. Right. Jolanda, so uh, for, forgive my interrupting, everything. but uh, do you have a question, a specific question for Congressman Pocan? No, just a thank you. Oh, okay. Yes, just All right, get great. out there, and what the congressman is doing in, in the state that he lives in is, is amazing. You know? Okay, great. Jolanda, thank you very much for the call. Um, Steve in Charlotte, North Carolina, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hello, uh, Congressman and uh, Tom. Good to talk to you. I had a, a I'm just going to choose one one question um, regarding uh, Donald Trump's election and the fact that he was able to get elected without ever releasing his taxes. And now that we have a uh, uh, they're they're proposing a tax bill, which is like you're saying a tax cut for the wealthy. Is there any way that we can you can push a bill uh, competitively with this one, requiring the release of uh, you know, a certain number of years of taxes for all potential candidates, uh, maybe three years prior to, uh, you know, uh, their election, something so that we could, you know, get a law on the books that would force him to release his taxes or not seek reelection. Enhanced transparency here. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, Steve, I'll tell you, the Democrats have been doing just that. In fact, I think the first six months maybe of the year, I think almost every first night of voting, we, uh, try to force a vote on this to make him release his taxes. There are multiple bills introduced to try to address the issue. Um, the Republicans aren't going to go there. Clearly, they're protecting him. But you're right. I mean, this logic tells us this is the guy who says he's not going to benefit from the tax cuts he's putting out there, but he won't show us his taxes to actually tell. And it just common sense defies what he's saying if he's as rich as he says he is. So um, you're completely right. We're actually trying to do that. I just wish we could make that connection with more people around the country. Very quickly, I, I, I kind of cut off Jolanda. She, she is getting active and involved in politics. I, I congratulate her for that. I think it's great. Did you want to comment on that? Yeah, you know, Jolanda, I mean, all I would really say is, is the good news to remember is we have the people and we have the ideas, the values that really matter. Uh, they have money. And this is a battle between that big money and the special interests who want to make sure they continue to have even more money and uh, all of us and the values that we have. So, you know, the more people you can get active and doing just what you're doing, uh, the better off we're going to be. Thank you for, for doing that in, in Washington State. Kristen in Cam uh, Camas, Washington. Hey, Kristen, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman. Um, my question is, Keith Ellison just did kind of a purge in the DNC, and he got rid of a lot of progressives. And I'm wondering, what the hell was he thinking because it's the progressive movement and the young people that bernie energized to be honest who are the ones getting out there and the ones really trying to change things and this is feels like a slap in the face to them and if bernie runs as an independent democrats are going to lose yeah so so kristen one thing i have to correct you on it's really important Keith Ellison didn't do the purging. Um, Tom Perez, is, is because he's the DNC chair, made this selection, uh, the choices of, of the at-large seats for the DNC. It wasn't Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison made recommendations. Some of his people made it. Some did not. Um, but it was Tom Perez who did that. And because Tom Perez 
uh, like most people who win elections, put more of his people in place, we've lost some of the folks that might have been from the Bernie wing of the party who supported Keith, who didn't win. Uh, Keith is the vice chair. So I just want to put that out there, but I, I do agree. I think we have to keep the party as diverse as possible. This is the moment for progressives uh, when it comes to the Democratic Party, and if we lose focus on that, we're going to lose focus on winning elections. So is, uh, we're, we're down to about a minute and a half here for the end of the hour. Is, is the situation in the Democratic Party that because more than half of the, the seats nationally are held by, um, shall we say, traditional Democrats or middle-of-the-road Democrats, I, I don't want to be pejorative, um, uh, versus you know, a smaller percentage held by progressives, uh, that that that's you know is that's the simple power equation is 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 basically that or and it's just a matter of you know if progressives want to have greater representation in the party they need to get more elected officials. Yeah, and uh, run for party office. I mean, you can run for the DNC positions in every single state, um, and that's important that you know progressives run for those. I think in this case, to be perfectly honest, Tom, a lot of it was Tom Perez putting people who might have supported him in positions of, of power as opposed to people that may have supported, in some cases, Keith. And I think um, he wanted to diversify in different ways around millennials and I think uh, a few other categories that he beefed up. But unfortunately, the people who seemed to get dropped off were many of the, the Bernie supporters and Keith Ellison supporters. And it just looks bad because that's such an important element of the party that we, we need to make sure that's messaged well because the, the growth and the future of the party, I think, is in um, a lot of those progressives that feel like they were just shut out after watching what happened in the last election. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So uh, in the minute we have left, Congressman, what, what should people be looking at and doing this week? I noticed last night the Republicans voted just to, to screw us all when it comes to being able to sue our bank. Whoa, that minute just went by really fast. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I missed the cue. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us tonight or today. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. Congressman Mark Pocan. Uh, Pocan.house.gov is his website. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Our middays with Mark uh, here every, every Wednesday. We'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Tom Hartman. June 17th, 1934. Stick that in your head for a minute. Jeff Flake yesterday gave a speech on the floor of the Senate in which he, shall we say, took on Donald Trump. And, you know, in some ways it was a, 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 it was a consequential moment. I, I was going to say noble, and then I thought, you know, it, it seems like a noble moment. But last night, after, you know, after he trashes Trump yesterday, for basically lying to the American people. Uh, then last night, he votes to allow banks to prevent us from exercising our Seventh Amendment rights to a, to a, to a trial by jury and, and giving, you know, uh, facilitating forced arbitration. They, they just, I mean, they, they, last night, they, they, Mike Pence had to go down to the floor of the Senate to break the tie and, and to, to say banks can continue to screw us. This is what the Republicans are up to. And, you know, if Jeff Flake actually had any moral courage, he would have voted no on that. For that matter, if he had any moral courage, he would have left his party. It just, it's, it's extraordinary. 
Now that said, he did have a few interesting things to say, and, and we've got a few clips of it. Here's, here is one, this is uh, Senator Jeff Flake. All of our complicity in this alarming and dangerous state of affairs. It is time for our complicity and our accommodation of the unacceptable to end. Rise today. Yeah, and uh, here's another clip. We must never allow ourselves to lapse into thinking that that is just the way things are now. If we simply become inured to this condition, thinking that is just that is just politics as usual, then heaven help us. Yeah, then heaven Reckless, help. outrageous, and undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is when it is actually just reckless, outrageous, and, and undignified. Yeah. So, uh, 17th of June, 1934, uh, von Papen, the uh, German vice chancellor, Franz von Papen, spoke at the University of Marburg. This was the last speech that was given against Adolf Hitler. And, you know, it's, it's particularly interesting to check this out. He, 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 he said, and I, and I quote, this is from von Papen's speech. And, and von Papen, by the way, three weeks later was the night of the long knives. The Nazis reached out. And this is, this is where you can see, you know, we're not really, the United States is not Nazi Germany and we're not re, replaying uh, the rise of Hitler and Donald Trump, at least so far. Three weeks after von Papen gave this speech, he was put in prison and a number of his colleagues and friends were murdered during the Night of the Long Knives. But anyhow, here's what he said in his speech. He said, the function of the press should be to inform the government where deficiencies have crept in. See, he was, he was complaining about the, the, the Nazis basically trying to shut down newspapers, which they were doing. The function of the press should be to inform the government where deficiencies have crept in, where corruption is settled, where serious mistakes are being made, where unsuitable men are in the wrong positions, starting to sound like Jeff Flake, and where transgressions are committed against the spirit of the German Revolution. An anonymous news service, think of what's going on with Facebook and Twitter right now. An anonymous news service, no matter how well organized, can never be a, a substitute for this responsibility of the press. Deficient or primitive intellects are not in themselves justification for war against intellectualism. And if today we sometimes complain about, you know, he calls them 150% national associates, uh, socialists, in other words, super fanatic Nazis, then we mean those intellectuals without substance, people who would like to deny the right of existence to scientists of world fame just because they're not party members. The sentence, men make history, has frequently been misunderstood as well. Great men are not made by propaganda, but rather grow through their deeds and are recognized by history. Whoever speaks, speaks of, Russia, of Prussian tradition, German tradition, therefore must first of all think of silent and impersonal service, and last or not at all of reward and recognition. Whoever toys with such ideas should not conceal the fact that the one who threatens with the guillotine is the one who is most likely to come under the executioner's axe. No nation can afford a constant revolt from below if it wants to pass the test of history. And this is, this is what Steve Bannon is stirring up, is this constant revolt from the bottom. Well, not just Steve Bannon, the whole, the whole, you know, the, the, the whole right-wing uh, petrobillionaire machine. 
Uh, at some time, a stable social structure must emerge, maintained by an impartial judiciary and by an undisputed state authority. Germany must not go adrift in uncharted seas toward unknown shores with no one knowing when it will stop. The state is the sole power and the last guarantor of something to which every citizen can lay claim, ironclad justice. The government is well informed on all the self-interest, lack of character, want of truth, unchivalrous conduct, and arrogance trying to re rear its head under the cover of the German Revolution. So he, he's just, he calls, you know, just like Jeff Flake says, you know, uh, Trump is not suited for the job. He's, he's, you know, he's saying that Hitler is not telling the truth and he's unchivalrous and he's arrogant. The German people know that their situation is serious. They feel the economic distress. They smile at clumsy attempts to deceive them with false optimism. No organization and no propaganda, no matter how good, will in the long run be able to retain trust. Confidence and readiness to cooperate cannot be won by incitement, especially of youth, nor by threats against helpless segments of the people, but only by discussion with the people with trust on both sides. So this was the last, I mean, quite literally the last appeal that was made in Germany before Hitler just like closed all the doors. In, uh, at the end of June, June 30th, 1934, the New York Times, this is a week and a half after this speech, or a couple weeks after this speech, the New York Times uh, wrote a piece. It, has, it was pointed out long ago that Hitler had laid up future troubles for himself by the manner in which he organized his campaign for leadership in Germany. On the one hand, he mobilized the radicals, the fighting forces of the streets, promising them better conditions when he could take power. On the other, he mobilized certain sections of the strong industrialist class who furnished funds for his campaign, and to them he gave pledges of liquidation of labor elements and uh, of socialistic and labor elements which had blocked their plans. Now you get this? The, the New York Times is pointing out that you know, Hitler rose to power through this two-pronged effort. Where number one, activate the bigots in the streets and get them out in the streets and have that be your electoral base. And number two, reach out to what he refers to as the strong industrial class and have them fund your campaign and promise to them that you're going to destroy socialism, right, the social safety net, and you're going to break up the labor unions. And, in fact, that's what happened. Uh, continuing with this article in the New York Times, this is absolutely fascinating, by the way, the, the, the time machine there. Both of these elements Hitler has striven to satisfy. The industrialists have been freed of labor unions, of wage scales they considered too high, and of levies for social services they called oppressive. Work in industry has been extended to take care of as many party followers as possible, and many more places have been made through the dismissal of Marxists, liberals, and Jews. But the steady decline of industry has tended to handicap the effort, and both sides have been dissatisfied with the results. Moreover, the, the effort to consolidate a supreme and unified party has tended to defeat the purpose. And, you know, on the one hand, the Tea Partiers, excuse, excuse me, the Stormtroopers, have taken in many radicals who profess themselves to be converted, but who have helped to turn the Nazi army decidedly to the left, and even given strength to Rome and Goebbels. And, you know, it goes on. It's, it's, it's actually a fascinating thing to compare this with the, uh, with the Marburg speech. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. 
But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beats is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. The corruption of government officials is the top fear of Americans. This is, this is pretty astonishing. This is a piece at Forbes, of all places. Uh, it's a study by Chapman University. It's the Survey of American Fears. They pulled 1,207 U.S. adults at a level of fear across 80 different categories, ranging from crime to personal anxiety to natural disasters. They've been doing this for years, this study. And uh, <laughs> Trump's decision to withdraw the U.S. from Paris Climate Accords has made an impact with 48% of Americans now fearful of global warming and climate change. 44% are, uh, 45% are afraid of air pollution. But here's the, here are the things that Americans are most afraid of. And I find this absolutely amazing. Corrupt, number one on the list is corrupt government officials. 74% of Americans say that they're afraid of corrupt government officials. Now, I guarantee you that number would not have been anything close to that prior to the Reagan administration. Wouldn't have been there. So we got, we got Ed, great. Um, and I'm going to continue with this list in, in just a minute. But first, uh, we have a, a, a guest on the line. Ed Rempel is with us. He is uh, the uh, film historian, writer, and senior editor at the Hollywood Progressive, organizer of the 70th anniversary of the Hollywood Blacklist Tribute, uh, the website generosity.com slash fundraising slash Hollywood dash blacklist at dash tribute. And you can tweet him at Hollywood P-R-O-G-R-E. Ed, welcome back to the program. It's been a while. Hey, Tom. Great to talk to you. And a much simpler uh, website, by the way, is blacklist hyphentribute.com. Great. The other one, I know, it's quite, a, it's quite a mouthful, but then again, the whole Hollywood blacklist subject is a huge mouthful. Right. So the blacklist happened 70 years ago, and uh, therefore, presumably, a lot of people who are listening to the program right now may not even know what we're talking about, or if they do, they only know about it in very vague and indistinct terms. You want to set the table for us here, set the stage? What what exactly was the blacklist and how did it play out? What impact did it have on this country? Exactly 70 years ago on Friday, October 27, 1947, the very first member of the Hollywood Ten was called to testify before Congress about alleged subversion in the film industry. And Basically, what happened, starting with uh, John Howard Lawson, uh, the first uh, screenwriter to testify, was for about 13 years or, or more, uh, talents in the, in the entertainment industry were not allowed to perform unless they not only recanted and um, informed on themselves, their own activities, let's say 
they supported a fundraiser uh, against uh, Franco during the Spanish Civil War, or they were members of the Communist Party, or any variety of uh, progressive causes were supported. But then, but then, and this is the real kicker, um, people then had to inform on everybody else that they knew, and if they didn't name names, crawl like rats, and be stool pigeons, then they would be blacklisted and not allowed to work for the motion picture industry studios. Wow. Wow. And, and, and Tom, it's important that people understand that the, the members of the Hollywood Ten, such as Dalton Trumbo, they went to prison for contempt of Congress, they were fine, and people were driven during this awful period that then set the stage for McCarthyism, that people uh, committed suicide, people like uh, John uh, Garfield and Canada Lee, um, who had bad hearts, Joe Bromberg, uh, were put under such huge pressure that they did have heart attacks and die. So this was a, a huge era of government uh, repression aimed at the left, the worst type of big government intrusion into the privacy of Americans. And we want to remind people what happened starting October 27th, 1947, 70 years ago to the day of our Friday event because we see signs of something similar stirring in the winds, and we must never forget that Joe McCarthy's chief counsel, Roy Cohn, went on to become Donald Trump's mentor and attorney. Right, and, and this is very concerning. Now, there, there were some clear heroes of the blacklist era. I mean, Paul Jericho and Dalton Trumbo and, and like that. Um, but there were also some villains. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, but uh, we're, we're talking with Ed Rampel. Uh, but my recollection is that Ronald Reagan was actually informing uh, to the FBI while he was president of the Screen Actors Guild about people that he thought should be on the blacklist. Do I have that right? That's, that's true. There were a lot of people who cooperated. Uh, there were a lot of informers. And we are going to be reading at this event uh, the transcripts of the House Un-American Activities uh, Committee hearings. And we're going to have the transcripts of two informers. However, what we are stressing and what we are focusing on is the heroic resistance of people, whether it was uh, Zero Mostel, uh, the great comedian, or the screenwriter, Albert Maltz, the actress, Madeline Lee, uh, uh, John Garfield, uh, and many others. The heroic resistance that people who refuse to be so-called friendly witnesses, so-called cooperative witnesses, and this is what we're really uh, concentrating on, although we will have testimony from two of the informers read. And one of them will be read by Norma Barsman, a 97-year-old survivor of the Hollywood blacklist, 
who will read the testimony of the informer who gave away the names of uh, all of their mutual friends. Wow. So it's still, it's still alive. It's still raw for some of these people. That's remarkable, 70 years on. Um, and and we're going the, to have Marsha Hunt is planning to be there. Marsha turned 100 years old this month. Wow. And in 1947, she got on that airplane with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall and a bunch of other Hollywood stars and directors and so on. And they flew to Washington, D.C. to observe uh, the Hollywood 10 hearings. And Marsha is planning uh, to attend our event. And um, we're going to have a special 100-year-old uh, birthday celebration uh, for Marsha. And 91, on October 31st, 91-year-old Lee Grant made a special video uh, for us discussing how her comment, like a one-sentence comment at the memorial service of her jo jo friend, Joe Bromberg, caused Lee Grant, who was only about 25 or 26, she had just won an Academy Award for her first major role opposite Kirk Douglas in Detective Story. Lee made one public comment at a memorial service and then was blacklisted from movies until about 1964. Yeah, these guys were, were absolutely real. The granddaughter of Kirk Douglas, actress Kelsey Douglas, is going to read a statement that Kirk wrote specifically for us. Kirk is also 100 years old now and he's unable to attend himself. But his granddaughter is going to read Kirk's statement talking about how he Great and, stuff. Uh, Dalton Trumbo is the Tom Hartman program. Ed Rappel the uh, film historian and writer and senior editor at the Hollywood Progressive. Thanks, Ed. Great. It's this Friday at the Writers Guild Theater in... Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between, plus the best of the rest of the news. And don't forget... Democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.